0: Welcome to Corbell Career Cast, the podcast from the Office of Career and Professional Development at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver. Today we are joined by Corbell student Corinne Malimba, who will interview Corbell alum Mike Shanley, who works for Abe Connect. Corinne? Hi, my name is Corinne. Um, uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Mike, for um, taking your time to be interviewed um, by us. Um, So I guess I can just get started. Um, Please introduce yourself, your name, the year you graduated from Corbell, and then what you studied and where you work now and your position.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, Corinne, thank you. And Heather, thank you for the opportunity to share my experience. I really enjoyed my time at um, GSIS. Then Corbell was actually there when the name change happened. So I'm always happy to just share my experience the last 20 years working generally in the USAID market, not directly for USAID, but for a large implementing partner. And then now with my own business. Um, So my story started um, right before Corbell with Peace Corps. So I did the track of doing Peace Corps. I was in Peace Corps in Ukraine in 2004, in Eastern Ukraine. Um, And then after that, went right to uh, Corbell. And really what I was looking for in grad schools um after after Peace Corps I saw that you you, you needed a master's um, to do any of the work I was looking to do in international development or human rights work at the time and then I, I wanted to get a perspective outside of of the East Coast um and I thought the what what Corbell had built was really interesting um and um looking back on it to kind of skipping ahead I really feel that, some of the relationships we built um, are even deeper there because you could go camping on the weekends or do other activities. It wasn't just as much, I don't know if uh, just networking and, and you're really just there to, to grow um, um, to kind of to grow your career. So anyway, I was in Peace Corps, went to Corbell. I was a uh, international studies, a gen- by the end I was a generalist major. Um, and then from there went straight out to DC kind of knew that was the place to be at least for, for, for the next step in my career. Um, and did a couple internships. My first internship, um, very high paying. I had a $50 a month stipend um, for that uh, internship. And then after that, got one at $7 an hour um, that I did for about three months. And so it took about four months of being in DC and hustling um, to then get hired at Comonics International, which is the largest USA contracting firm. So um, I worked there and really learn the USAID business development process, how the funding process works, how the partnering process works, how to manage the projects. And then 10 years ago, I left there to start my own firm, Connected International, which is a consulting firm. And what they do is, what we do is we support organizations to work with USAID. So we really took that knowledge that we know of how USAID business development, how proposals work, and share it with new and established USAID partners. Um, Also a few years ago, excuse me, we um, launched, um, spun off a software called Aid Connect Data. Um, and that is a software that also helps streamline the process and automate a lot of the USA business development processes. So really, our clients are organizations that want to get funding from USAID. Um, and we help them from that pro- with that process, wherever they are, whether it's a new market entrant, um, growing partner, or a large established prime that's been working with them for decades. You know, that was kind of a long intro. I hope that kind of follow the path and was helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I think you kind of give us already kind of the overview of your company's mission um, and the areas of work, so thank you for that. Um, now I'm curious to kind of know how you you got into this field. How do most people get into this field? Um, and then, yes, so let's do that. Yeah, let's do that one.
1: Yeah, so how I got into it, definitely at Corbell, a big thing was I went in as a human rights major, um, and, and came out as a generalist seeing, that and I under, I learned there actually, um, Heather from, from Mira, one of your former colleagues in the career center. She, I remember we had a really good meeting, um, where she talked, helped me think through both like what I was looking to do in terms of a career, but then also what the job prospects were like and what, what really made sense. And so I made some adjustments, um, at Corbell, which were helpful. Mm-hmm. How I ended up getting a job was for me, it was entirely network. And I went on every single career trip, um, at the time, it was both in New York and D.C., so I wanted all of those, uh, stayed in touch with people. And I think the important thing that I did right was understanding that I, even on that career trip, you're not meeting people to get your first job. You're meeting people you're going to know for the next 50 years. Um, and so in some of those con- people I would meet. Um, I was, you know, yeah, sure. You're trying to get a job so you can ask for support in that way. Um, but also some of them became clients or, you know, colleagues or the people you stay in touch with as you continue to, to, uh, to, to grow in your career. Um, so I think that's a really important thing. And, and one thing that was very helpful is always with whenever you meet someone, seeing if you can find a way to support them or help them or understand what their needs are, um, I know as a grad student, you know, currently, you know, current grad student, it may not be directly obvious how you can support them, but if you're someone that's been working for 10 years at one of these large NGOs, you're probably really good at managing projects and you know what your team's doing, but you might not have had much time to step back and, you know, read think tank pieces or um, understand the current research um, in, in, the, in the space. So I think that's something that new perspective and what, where the current conversation's at is something that the grad students can, can bring um, as they're, as they're growing their, their network, but, but definitely understand that that impression you make, I mean, that's people that you're probably going to know for, for a long time.
0: Thank you. Um, so what does your day-to-day look like? Um, what do you do? Sort of like, what do you do? Who do you interact with on a normal basis? Um, what might, how do you start your day? How do you know norm- what time might you end your day? Kind of give us, um, yeah, an overview about that.
1: Yeah, so I might um, answer and let me know if you wanted me to change it then after, but what it was like at Chemonics, um, because I think that might be a little bit more relevant as opposed to a a uh, you know a software CEO's role day-to-day, which is a little bit different. But when I started out, I got an entry-level position at commonics. They called it an associate at the time. So I was an associate hire there. And my day-to-day was standard. This was pre-COVID, um, standard nine to five in the office. Um, DC people start a little later and work a little bit later. Uh, many nights, you know, probably be there till seven or eight. Um, and working on managing I managed a project in um, Ukraine. And then there was a, a second project Oh, in Azerbaijan too. Um, so was day to day, I was doing things like managing the contract, um, looking at the budget, checking the approvals process, making sure what we were doing was compliant with US government regulations um doing some trips to the to the field offices to Azerbaijan, um, and supporting more the administrative and operation side of things there, the closest I got to like the technical work like doing and delivering the work would be talking to the person who you're going to hire that was then going to fly out there remotely, um, do the work. but really understanding that broad perspective of how funding gets allocated and managed in what's now a 30 billion dollar a year market. Um, so I found that was very useful experience, but it was definitely the first year was much heavier on standard project management, business development, proposal writing skills, as opposed to anything I learned in Peace Corps or language or any, or or anything like that. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that, 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 that that was kind of the day to day. One really nice thing about being in person, was the relationships you built I think that's a tough thing I see if you're going to start entry level remotely it, to the extent you can you know if there's a quarterly in-person meetup or any other way to like travel at least meet with some people like that was just such a a wonderful piece of it and I'm that's even goes beyond business just friends with a lot of the people that I, that I work with um um to this day of um, st- starting out at, at Comcs
0: thank you um you can kind of, you mentioned an internship that you had. Uh, you said it was sort of a high paying. Um, and I'm just kind of curious because I know now a lot of us, we nowadays, there's a lot of scholarships that are, you know, unpaid. And I don't know, like if what do you think about that um, in terms of w- what type of advice you have for students who might be doing unpaid? Is it worth it for them? And then yeah. just from you, like what kinds of experience in terms of paid or unpaid um, would you encourage somebody like pursuing a career in this field? Yeah, yeah. You-
1: yeah. And, and yeah, by high paying, I was kind of joking. It was, like I said, <laughs> it, it was, it was $50 a month. I personally don't consider $50 a month. And then it breaks down to about 250 one, you know, two bucks a day or something like that. Yeah. So it, it was clearly, so uh, perfect example, $50 a month. But we, they went in knowing that you're getting a $50 check each month you Can't do this forever, you're in, and I was in DC at the time. So, part of the deal was Mike, you work here, we're going to give you tasks, and once you get your next job, we know you're going to leave, and we're going to let you leave during the day at any point to go do interviews to go get those jobs. Um, so it was just a real good mutual understanding. I think that would not have made sense if they wanted me in there 50 hours a week and I wasn't allowed, you know, time out to talk to other people. Um, so you really want to understand what are you going to get out of it. And so, I added some value to them. They kind of gave me, okay, I had an internship title, at least behind. Me when, when I'm going out to other groups. Um, so unpaid, think about where you want to go. What is that job you want to get? To me, as I think back on it, I think the reason I got hired at Comonics was again not Peace Score, not even grad school, although you had to check the box for that. Uh, but really one of my internships I did in the summer um at Corbell, it was in Kyrgyzstan with Freedom House, and I supported them writing a USAID grant. And they didn't care about the Kyrgyzstan part or that Freedom House is a human global human rights organization. They cared that I worked on a USAID proposal and saw how that process worked. I think that was probably the piece of my resume that stood out the most, was reviewed and, and supported development of USAID proposal. So at the end of the day, if you can win funding, if you know how that process works, that is very valuable. So I would say experience, and we've had several... Um, Corbell students um, intern with 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 my companies too. Um, the last three of which were all hired by USAID primes, and I think a reason for that is they get that experience working on USA proposals. with Every single one of them, we start out, we design the internship around their first job interview. Here are the questions you're going to get asked if you want if this is your market, if you want to work for one of these large NGOs or one of these large contracting firms or even USAID. They're going to ask this, this, and this. Let's design your scope of work for this internship so that you get that experience. So, if it's unpaid, I mean that's real tough for people. We do we do, we're paid, um, and uh, but but making sure that if it's unpaid that you really have a clear exit strategy in a way in terms of getting the skills you're going to need and that you're going to have the bandwidth to be applying to jobs while you're there.
0: Thank you. And speaking of skills, I, I'm also curious to know. What skills would you recommend, you know, we highlight when we're sort of applying to organization or just in this field um, that you're working in, somebody entering that field, what, what are those skills that are important um, for that field?
1: Yeah, um, I would say one is the organizations you work with. If you're looking, again, in the international development space, even if it's an internship or whatever the engagement is, if you've worked with another organization in the space, that brand name is helpful. Even for them, like when we see you had two month internship at an organization that maybe is a target client of ours or knows this space. Okay, you've been inside that kind of organization. There's just like some like intangibles you get from working in the market. But I would say, um, really, it's even if you're in project management, they're going to probably want you writing proposals. So any grant writing, recruitment, um, proposal process coordination, um, for some of the organization skills and client management. You know, if you're uh, yeah you know managing a club and' you're, you're liaising with senior level speakers that you're bringing into Corbell um that's great and then then project project skills um I think it's important to think through for the internships that you'd select that you would get either some type of proposal development or if it's business development like looking at fun, finding funding opportunities and supporting the proposals um or uh, and or project management actually like working on a budget and, and, and seeing, um, all the reporting requirements that go with the project.
0: Thank you. And, um, I mean, I'm also, I wanted to know a little bit about your, your Peace Corps experience. Um, not on the script, but just kind of how long was that for you? How long did, uh, what, what type of work were you doing while you were there? Uh, what's something you took from that experience?
1: Yeah. So I was an English teacher in Eastern Ukraine, uh, and, um, Uh, a part that has been invaded by Russia. It's now under the key of government. Um, But with that experience, I really got the the firsthand experience of living in, um, uh, on the ground, implementing projects, seeing the challenges um, and opportunities of um, working with local partners, um, the local stakeholders, um, the local organizations, local governments. Um, And seeing how that works so that when I did go to that higher level, a higher level, different place in the process of managing the the programs, but not being day to day and seeing that feedback, I understood how those organizations work. So I think getting that understanding of how local organizations work, operate, make decisions, that's really important. Um, and, And to get it at that stage in the career, it's actually kind of funny. You can usually get that really early in your career. And then really late in your career, it's kind of hard to get that in the middle where they need you managing those big projects. Because at really late, you can, you know, in many cases, be on the ground um, working on the projects. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say just that understanding. And for me, you know, there's a lot of these group or volunteer organizations stuff that you can get good experience from. The Peace Corps brand name was kind of nice, just because you didn't have to explain what it was. If you say yeah. I did Peace Corps, like, oh, I maybe I don't know exactly what that means, but I've heard of it. So I was there for a couple of years, um, and it was an interesting time in Ukraine. That was the Orange Revolution that I was there during. So from the Orange Revolution, and then I've just stayed very closely engaged with um, friends and partners and organizations um, in, in Ukraine to this day.
0: Thank you. And I, w- I would like to know how your organization kind of centered itself around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, or or is there something that is often or how do you discuss what are those things that could definitely be more prioritized? How do you guys prioritize diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the, I think accessibility is one that I include with that too. So in a variety of ways, one is on our podcast, we make sure that the guests on the podcast come from diverse perspectives. Um, so it's that the voices on the podcast um, show a variety, of different perspectives, different experiences in life, um, then, when we share the podcast, we record everything and share them with closed captioning. So, if English is a uh, second language, for example, or the time zone doesn't work to join a podcast in, in the US, you can get the, the, the subtitles. So, it really helps sh- more widely share that information um, of how to work with USAID. Also, for um, our internship program and hiring, always prioritize. Um, candidates, um, we want to make sure there's diversity of, of experiences coming in so we've had uh yeah several of the um interns we've worked with in the past um yeah we feel that 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 what what we do is when the question is not capability but just experience and access to that understanding of how does the USA process work having that strong CD that looks good that's really a, a role I see us playing is we can design those internships so we take someone who has, um, strong talent and an interest in working in this space, and then they can get that experience that the the hiring teams are going to look for on their CVs. Um, one of our recent podcast episodes is with Nene Diallo. She's the Chief Diversity Officer at USAID, um, so you can find that one that on Spotify too. Um, and 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 then we've worked with a group, uh, Ocreed, Creed, C R E E D. That's a, a a group that focuses on promoting diversity. Um, in the USAID market, so among a lot of the implementing partners. Um, so again, we'll host the podcast for that, you know, record it, share it, um, share it widely. So so it's definitely definitely a priority. And, and one that I'll say is um, I've been happy to see or at least my perspective, which is is the only one and maybe a limited one, um, that there I, I feel like there's been some progress made from, from what from what I've seen um, um, in, in, in the market.
0: Awesome, thank you so much. And oh yeah, yeah. Please, Mike, can you please share out um, the name of your podcast?
1: Yeah, so it's called the Aid Market Podcast. It's on um, anywhere that you get your podcast. Also, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so feel free to send me a connection. Always, um, great to hear from uh, current and former Corbell students. And uh, you know, if you message me with what you're looking for, we don't have any internships open at this point. Although we do have a, you know, throughout the year we'll. We'll, we'll, we'll cycle them through. Um, um, or if you're look, if you're graduating, you're looking to get your first position. Um, again, send me a message because um, we do support actually support recruitment for some of these um, USAID partners. Um, and so, yeah, if there's a potential fit, happy to make a connection there.
0: And real quickly, are those positions? Are they like in in Colorado, or are they like? Is their ability to be remote? Or-
1: yeah, I, I hesitate because we, it's changing. Um, Obviously, I would say before this, before COVID, you had to be in DC. There was rare exceptions where you didn't have to be in DC, say working for one of the NGOs in Colorado. So we're based in the Posner Center. So there's some great organizations there. Yeah. Now I, and then during COVID, obviously you didn't have to be. Um, Now some organizations are requiring like maybe a few days a week in the office. So you could be remote, but you still kind of have to be in the DC area potentially. Um, that's definitely something to think about. For us, we've actually been remote for the last decade. So we've been a fully remote organization um, for the last 10 years. Um, and uh, that was just a model that I thought was made the most sense for, for our organization. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a conversation to have. I would say it does, you just get so much more out of it at an entry level To be in person with colleagues and I would actually be more concerned that you would get hired somewhere be in person and a lot of your colleagues would be remote so I would ask about there can't you know you'd have to move but there can be advantages to being in person at least for a few years
0: Mm -hmm. all right Um, and I mean we're kind of nearing um, the end soon but how, how did your studies at Corbell prepare you for this job maybe what's one class that you took that like really changed your perspective on kind of this whole field or that really inspired you. And is there anything you wish you would have done or known differently?
1: Those are really good questions. Um, I would say the question, one of the many wonderful um, uh, teachers I had there, um, Nina Jane was excellent. She taught health and humanitarian aid. I still think about the final paper. I saw her recently we were talking about the final paper I wrote for her class Um, A while back. Another one that stands out was international campaign management. It was taught by Rick Ritter. I took it in 2008, which is relevant. He at the time was the um, campaign chair for Hillary Clinton in Arizona. It's when Obama and Clinton were in the primaries. So he would be in Arizona six days a week, come up to Denver on Friday, teach our class and go back to Arizona. Our final project for that class was um, the internet had really just started being used in uh, political campaigns and meetups so we um he at the time his client was one of the the green party mayoral candidate for london um who was running that election so our final project was to prepare ideas for how he could use the internet and social media to for um, in a political campaign our professor um who's owned a campaign management firm then went to london and presented those ideas to the campaign and they used some of them interesting note he lost the election to boris johnson who became a uh, mayor uh, of of london and then of course moved up there so i was i really appreciated the ones that were very practical and i think something like that showed that this wasn't just an academic exercise we were doing in the rocky mountains that the work you're doing really can make a difference really you can get into roles of influence um and and sharing that that experience um with yeah, it, on projects and 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 in, in in large funding circles.
0: All right, and um, I guess just sort of like my last question is, um, do you think that would you recommend that people move to DC for just kind of is it is it better for people to move to DC in order to find uh, you know jobs or any good internships, especially for you know us in in this sort of field? And then I wanted to ask. Um, If you were not doing this, like, was there another career that you were looking at um, to go into or that you do if you weren't doing what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I would say it depends on what your career plans are. If you're ambitious and you want to move up and you want to be a VP or, you know, executive at one of these USA partnering firms. I don't see a way that happens without you being in D.C., um, if you want to get, move up the ladder at a very steady pace, but live in some mountain town and ski a lot and prioritize lifestyle, knowing the pay won't be as high. The responsibility won't be as high. I don't think anymore you have to go out to DC, but definitely if you want to move up and get those relationships, because you can learn how to do your job, but it's getting those connections going to the, you know, all, so many events are virtual and in person Everyone hears the same thing virtually. Not everyone hears the same thing in person. I think about going to a school like, you know, Corbell or like a Harvard and anyone, you don't have to pay Corbell tuition to read the textbooks um, at at Corbell. Anyone can get those books, but to build those connections, to sit in the room next to your colleagues, there's something about the in-person connections that really, I know I would move to DC still um, being in this space. Um, Again, I don't think it'd be a requirement, but if you want to, move up. Um, and then in terms of um, my other options, really the change was I went in as a human rights major. I wanted to be a um, I think there would have been like human rights coordinator officer at the United Nations. That was my goal when I started at, at Corbell and then the head of free the Slaves an anti-trafficking organization spoke there and that was just a great opportunity to hear from someone doing this work, hear the questions that in a way that speech that evening like really did change the trajectory. Basically long story short, He talked about um, anti, um, human trafficking and how for X dollars they could get enough money and stop human trafficking and get everyone out of, of all the different types of human trafficking and slavery globally. But then one of the person one of the questions was, well, okay, great, I'll give you that money. I won't even question that you can do it. Once you do it, aren't economic conditions going to push many of those people back into the same position? And he didn't really have a good answer for that. And I want to blame him. I don't know if there's a good answer for it, but that's when I'm like, I think long-term development, creating opportunities, I guess, in a way more preventative and creating, yeah, those opportunities is, is so what, basically from that speaker, I encourage people to go to those events, um, listen to those speakers. And I think that the the team at Corbell, had, you know, met, talked with the, the dean recently too, like just the... The, the what's going on there's wonderful the speakers coming in the opportunities for students and I'm appreciate the opportunity to share my perspective today I hope this is useful to some students um but just also the opportunity to stay engaged with Corbell and sure create internship opportunities but just share the expertise I, I feel it's just a a privilege to be able to share what I've learned with with some of the students um is it right if I ask you a question to wrap this up or not to wrap yeah. this up but at the end yeah what, what what's What's your biggest unknown or uncertainty is as you prepare to graduate and enter the job market?
0: Uh, I think for me is just not knowing so I want to do I want to go into diplomacy. Um, and so I, I don't know I, I've, I hear a lot of things about entering I guess the State Department stuff, you you need your own sort of like resume and you need to have like these special words and you need to basically once you get in, it's safe to say, then you can start kind of finding jobs in there, but, but it's just kind of like the test and just knowing the right people to connect to that will help me, um, to like with the test to get in anything like that. But that's really for me. Cause I, I, for now, I don't really know that many people who are in, in diplomacy. So
1: I, well, anyone listening, please reach out on LinkedIn, but I, I would say that's where I find talking to, uh, thank you. Talking to Corbell are. I found those other like the East Coast schools, which are also wonderful schools, the alumni network isn't as tight that just going to Corbell is enough. Hey, I went to Corbell. You went to Corbell. That's enough to have an intro call or to make a connection. Mm-hmm. So I think finding people that, that that have gone through that, I know there's plenty of Corbell alum in in the State Department. Um, and, and reaching out and finding those connections, either through LinkedIn or through the Career Center, but definitely going and showing you've done your work. I've done this work. Here are my specific questions. Here's how you can help. That's I find that's the best way to leverage both the career resources and and the alumni network.
0: Thank you so much for that advice. I appreciate it. I, appreciate it. I think that's it.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, so well, th- thank you for the opportunity. I, I appreciate, I, I appreciate you, you hosting me today.
0: Thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you so much, Corinne and Mike, for the conversation. I think it was really interesting to hear about your journey from Chemonics to starting your own business, and I think that's always nice for our students to hear that there are internship opportunities and maybe some employment opportunities, so it sounds like you're a great person to get to know um, for this $30 billion a year industry. I did not realize it was that big of a number, so thank you so much for your time, both of you, and we will look forward to seeing you all next time on the Corbell Career Pass.